Well, I'll do my very best uh, to do candid sharing over here. I cannot promise you, uh, you know, any life-changing advice, but I think like, you know, just sharing and hearing each other's stories can be sometimes quite useful. Hello, Crystal. You are someone who wears many hats, right? Not only are you an entrepreneur and a leadership coach, you are also a podcaster and author of Deep Human. You're a social media superstar and a two-time LinkedIn top voices alongside PM Lee. I'm not sure if PM Lee is uh, excited to be listed alongside me, but I'm very excited to be listed alongside our PM, yes. I know every time when we talk about the LinkedIn uh, top voices, you know, shout out to PM Lee's social media team as well. I think all of us are very shameless. In the top voices, the top 15 voices, the inaugural one, right? When we saw the list come out, then we saw, wow, Lee Sian Long are number three. Then we all, wow, Lee Sian Long is in the same list as us. But uh, I don't think he actually even knows that he's on the list. So, <laughs> yeah, so we probably need to like write him an email or even drop him a LinkedIn message. Please get MAS to do it, Ken. <laughs> Got more credibility. <laughs> Yes. So I'm super curious, right? Because I know you're one for detail, I'm also one for detail. So yes. could you walk us through a day in your life? Like really go down to the details on how you do so many things in a day? Well, I wasn't expecting this question, which is really good because I love off-the-cuff stuff. Uh, there's no such thing as a typical day like I literally just got off the plane from uh, Rome to Istanbul to here and then got on here and I travel quite a lot but I think one thing that is really important that I talk a lot uh, about a lot is not starting your day with OPP and what do I mean by OPP? OPP stands for other people's priorities oh, good student you know, other people's priorities is like in the morning, the first thing you do, you wake up, you grab your mobile phone, every single notification on your mobile phone is another person or another company's priorities. They are looking to harvest your attention for their own needs. They want you to do something, reply to something, look at something. Is any of that your priority? very, very, very seldom of the time. So I always say you don't start off your day with other people's priorities. Put yourself first. And that means even taking five minutes when you open your eyes, just come back to your body. Who are you? What are you about? What is your energetic state? What inspires you? What are your values? What do you want to get done today? But starting with yourself is so important for success. Because after all, if we let our life be governed by other people's priorities, you find that you live a life that pleases other people, but not yourself. And that is ultimately not meaningful to you. Right, and I think because you know, most of us, we are geared in a sense where we always open our WhatsApp messages first, yes. like our Slack message yes. where we work from home, right? Yes. And we get so overwhelmed. The first thing we see, like, oh, these are the things that happened last night. Yes. And like, the first thing we do is to react to them. Yes, and that's right. And we're not prioritizing ourselves in a way that allows us to efficiently go about our day, right? And you mentioned a very important word, which is reaction. Now, there are two things. There's reaction and then there's response. And there's a difference. Stimulus happens and we have a choice. Somebody yells at us, we receive an email, all these are stimuli. When a stimulus happens, you have two paths you can go through. Reaction means I automatically, instinctively react without thinking. And that is unconscious, that is autopilot, that is not a choice. Yeah. The other route is stimulus happens, but we pause and we create a space in which we actually respond. And response is a considered thing, it's an intentional thing, and it's a thing in which we choose 
we are taking a moment to assess, given all of this data, what is the wisest course of action? And that is actually why, like for instance, in medicine and in healthcare, the word reaction is normally a ne negative thing, right? Patient had a negative reaction to that drug. Yeah, but response is normally a positive thing. Patient is responding to that course of treatment. So I really want to like commend you on, on that, that um, particular word because we, in life, we have to be more intentional. When stuff happens, when I pick up my mobile phone and I see a triggering email, or if my boss says something that offends me, all these are triggers. And these triggers will happen a hundred thousand times a day. Even when you look at Bloomberg, all this stuff that's happening is triggers, right? You have a choice at any point of time, do I react instinctively, unconsciously, autopilot, you know, or do I actually stop, breathe, and carve out a space? And I love Viktor Frankl, who was a, a German psychologist, um, man's search for meaning, yes, right? Sorry, yeah. yeah, that's right. He wrote this book and he, he wrote, I, I'm going to paraphrase, between stimulus and response, there is a space. And in this space lies all of our power and all of our freedom. If every single time a trigger happens, all we do is react, react, react. We're just mindless. We're just like AI. And I mean, not even as good as AI. We're just like robots, right? But the trick is when all these things happen, how do we actually pause and then breathe and then open up a space and consider what are my values? What is my highest self? What, do, what, what choices can I make that are the wisest choices? And that is the difference, actually, between intelligence and wisdom. Right. Artificial intelligence or intelligence, by the way, is optimizing variables, right? But when we talk about human wisdom and what separates us from the robots is the ability to combine that processing with ethics, with values, yeah? So I think this is really a juggle between responding and being reactive and no one is accountable for our own well-being other than ourselves. Yes. Maybe we can jump straight into the conversation on today's topic, right? Sure. So in today's world, we face unique challenges and expectations when it comes to defining our own success and achieving it. Often, we, it derives from us being unsure of what is going to happen, you know, one year, five years, ten years down the road. Yes. So how can we define and measure success in a very meaningful and mindful manner? Okay, well, first of all, nobody gets to define success but you. And success will be very different depending on who you are. Now, we're all here at this thing called FinTech festival, right? Fintech, what a curious word. It's a hybrid of finance and technology. And finance, money, and technology are both means to an end. They are both multipliers. If you have a lot of money, it can amplify your values. If you're a good person, you have a lot of money, wow, you can do a lot of good things. If you're a nasty person, God help us all, but you know what I mean. But technology is the same way. It's an amplifier. So when you talk about success, I think it's very important to realize that success is about your values and how aligned and how much you're able to express your values through your life. And for me, for instance, like, I'm very clear about my core values. In the interest of time, I will, I will only give you three of my top values, which are freedom, growth, and beauty. Funnily enough, I'm a great lover of beauty. And um, <laughs> That's why I'm sitting next to you, right? So the thing is that, like, for me, if I'm successful, for example, freedom, to me, 
I don't want to earn money just for the sake of money. For what? Look at my bank account every day. You know, but money is so that I can be free. I can say what I want. I can do what I want. I can take on the clients that I like. I heck care the clients I don't like. That is freedom. And in that way, that the money is just a, a tool for which to measure my value, which is freedom. So in, in a way, my metric is how free am I? How much am I growing? That's my second value of growth, personal growth. My third value is beauty. How beautiful is my life? I think like beautiful also in a way is like full of beauty. So I don't think it's just like a superficial thing. I, I'm actually very much about searching for the beauty in this like very wild and sometimes very dark world that we live in. Does that, does that make sense? It does, it does. So it stems from like your success is whatever you take your passion to be and utilize it to work in your benefit. Right? I think we've got to be careful about this word passion because, you know, I'm in my 40s. You um, look so young. Thank you very much. I pay her to say this. <laughs> Sorry, free book for you. In my 40s, you will realize that roughly every five to seven years, uh, your passion will change. Okay, maybe not all of us, but certainly in my case, every five to seven years, your passions change. They do not stay static. I started off my career as an investment banker. I thought, wow, this is the life. I'm going to do M&As and IPOs. And then I, I went into sales and trading. Wow, I'm really passionate about sales and trading and all of that. And then sometime in life, you will realize that, heck, my passion is not my job. I got other areas in my life, my portfolio of life, of which career is one part of my portfolio, but maybe I can derive meaning and passion from another area of life. But what I'm trying to say is that your values tend not to change so much. Your core values, if you really touch your heart and you really examine and you look backwards, you realize that there's some remarkable consistency in the things that brought you awe, in the things that you did when you were a child, even when no one was looking, even when I was a very small baby or a child, I wanted to be free. I wanted to rebel. I wanted to grow. I wanted to learn. And those values stay consistent, even though the passion, which is the expression of those values, will change over our lives. Right, so your values really can take you far as long as you have the right values inculcated in your life. I think it's also self-awareness yes. about what your values are, right? Right. So I know you mentioned that you were from the investment banking field yes. and then after you transitioned out to do what you love right now, right? Which is coaching people. Leader, leadership, leadership consultancy yes. and, you know, really educating people. So yeah, education is the crux of you know, what you love, right? Yeah, I always say like my life's mission is forwards. It's like shifting consciousness, unlocking potential. That's what it is. Hmm. So could you share like, because exerting one's voice and making a valuable contribution can be both empowering yet very, very daunting, especially, you know, for those who are just starting out and they're not unsure how to utilize their voice and also those who are new to, new to a new organization and they're yes. not... They're not very sure of like, the pathways ahead and you know, they're scared to step on the wrong people's toes, yes. right? So what strategies do you believe are effective for individuals to exert their voices and to contribute meaningfully in a professional setting? Because I think not just communicating words, right? You also want to be effective and impactful in what you are saying in the organization as well. Okay, I'm going to be mildly controversial. So those of you who don't, very, very PC type people, please close your ears. Uh, Singaporeans are damn conflict avoidant and I cannot stand it. I'm sorry, I'm Singaporean, that's why I can say this. You know what? Companies hire me 
to talk to Singaporeans because all these are more trainers, they cannot scold Singaporeans. They cannot stand there and go, wow, you guys are, you know, looks very bad, right? But as Singaporeans, we can scold each other. Okay, so Singaporeans are very freaking conflict avoidant. They don't like poking their neck out. They don't like causing a rustle. In fact, it's been bred into us since young. I think Confucian values are like children should be obedient. Children should be, you know, be compliant. And then I always think, what the heck? We're in this era of AI. Who can out-comply a robot? Who can be more obedient than AI? If that's all we are and all we're training our youth for, they're all going to be obsolete, okay? Game over. So the first thing I want to emphasize is that we are living in an AI revolution. Make no mistake of it. In this hundred years, this is the most confusing, chaotic, and exciting time that our uh, generation has been through. By the way, uh, I must say uh, that my generation, not yours, you're very young, is like a very unique generation in mankind history. We're the only generation that has known life before smartphone and after smartphone. No other generation in humanity's history will be as unique as my generation. Gen X, thank you. You guys are so skilled in pivoting. But that's the thing, right? Because we didn't have a smartphone growing up, we had to use all these soft skills, all this innovation and all this kind of stuff. And then we learn how to actually pivot uh, and be agile. So coming back to your point, what I want to emphasize is that in a world of AI, ChatGPT can give you the most informed and the most colorless answers without a personality, okay? So that means that the relevance of humans in the real world has to be your personality. What kind of opinions do you have? And I'll tell you a story. When I was in investment banking, I actually switched from corporate finance to equity sales. And this is a very drastic switch. So I didn't know anything about equity sales. All I knew is that my boss said, every day you call all these fund managers and then you sing them a song about what they should buy, what they should sell, what is good, what is bad. And then in the early days, I was like very Singaporean, very kiasu. I called my client, Hi, Andrelin. Hey, today we got a report on Singtel. You know, some people say should buy. Some people say should sell. The data for is like this. The data against is like this. Then one day, one of my fund managers, a very legendary hedge fund manager, he's cut me off halfway. Can I guess the reply? Yes, go straight to the point. Well, it was that, but he said something. He said, Crystal, your job, my job, is to decide what to buy, what to sell. Your job is to tell the damn story. And I was like, wow, what does that even mean? And he said, your job is to have a freaking opinion. I get to choose whether I want to buy this story, I want to sell this story, but your job is to tell the freaking story. I don't want you just to be some aggregator of knowledge like JetGB. Some people say buy, some people say sell. Have a freaking, you know, grow a pair. And us women got a pair, huh? ovaries, huh? not just men. So I tell you, that was the day I realized that you have to have an opinion. And since then, uh, auntie is not short of opinions. And I know some Singaporeans, they write to me all the time and they'll be like, how you have so many opinions? How come you can just like that, like that, like that? I'm like, excuse me, everybody has opinions. The problem with Singaporeans is that we self-censor. Internally, we got mute button. Yes. We want to, forget it. Don't forget it. I better not say. This is the internal mute button. So coming to your point, finding your voice. The first thing is believing in yourself and overcoming the internal mute button, believing that you have something of value to say. Of course, the second thing is a contradiction because I always like to say, don't say something for the sake of saying something. Say something because you have something to say. 
don't say something, have something to say. That means the second principle is create value. And third principle is research the damn hell out of it. Before you open your mouth, freaking do your research lah. How many people go into meetings they don't even know who is this person, who is this person, what's the context, what's this company about, all that. You need to have done your research. And one thing I'm very grateful for investment banking is that it taught me the power of discipline, respect and research. If you dare to go for a pitch and you don't know the face and background history of everybody sitting around the table, you're in trouble. In investment banking, our pitch, uh, we have this thing called placemats. What is a placemat? Before we go for the pitch meeting, every single person that's around the meeting, we will make a, like a diagram of a table, then we will put their face around the table, then we will put a sort of bullet points of who they are, what they like, what their motivations are, background history, everything, so that by the time we walk into the meeting, we're like CIA, we know everything already. Yeah, and that is the kind of discipline that I was brought up in. It's like having the sheer respect to actually do your homework so that when you open your mouth, you are giving an informed opinion, but you're not just talking, talking, talking for the sake of hearing your voice. Know your value and also have your knowledge together even before you want to exert something out in the open, right? I think, and this all is synergistic, right? If every time you open your mouth, you are creating value, you are actually listening to yourself. Every time you speak, your own ears are listening to yourself and you are developing this virtuous loop where you are gaining more and more self-confidence in yourself and then the internal mute button then gets deactivated more so that you have exercised this muscle of being able to just flow with the circumstances. Yeah. And be confident as well because you really know that whatever you say, there are very little criticisms that can also come in. So yes. I know you hit a few nerves in people because I saw them laughing when you were saying about how Singaporeans have an internal mute button. So I think moving from there, right, how are we able to reframe our minds to empower ourselves to achieve that self-fulfillment and self-actualization of removing that internal mute button? So I think it is all about doing it. I can say all kinds of wonderful things, but at the end of the day, it's like going to the gym. If you want to get a better body, don't just talk about it. Uh. You don't just scroll, scroll into Instagram. You've got to actually bloody hell go to the gym and exercise your muscles, right? So it's the same thing. We want to speak up. You don't just talk about it and don't go and follow all the Instagram accounts of people like me and speak up, speak up. No point. Do it. Go to... Uh, what you do is that you actually set yourself small little challenges every day. As simple as today's micro challenge is when the lift doors open, the next person that walks in, I'm going to say, Hello! Exercise your vocal cords, your speaking up muscle, do something that is out of your comfort zone, even if it's just making one line of conversation with the Starbucks barista. And once you get over that kind of like, that kind of inertia of like, you know, that's where you actually become much more confident. Right, so this is your sign. When you, the next time you go and meet someone that you know you are not familiar with or if you are not seen for a very long time, just go up to them, say hello, you might not, you don't know what's going to come up next. Say Crystal told you to do it, can blame me, okay? <laughs> so I think Crystal, since we only have about 8 minutes left, wow, time flies, time flies, right? Oh my god, the conversation was just flowing so well, you are natural at this. So, we'd like to open the floor up to some questions because I know you, know you guys would like to ask some questions as well. Feel free to unmute yourself, your internal mute button and ask some questions. 
Hi, my name is Hannah. Um, my question really is on the whole Singapore culture. You see, we have a lot of mute buttons, but we also have a lot of people who are not very willing to listen to differing opinions. Yes. So I guess when approaching that unmuting portion, how do you kind of overcome this maybe fear or even um, realization that people, you know, would be against what you're seeing, and I, then just moving away from that and building the confidence to continue the journey of the meeting? Yeah, this is a fantastic question. So, it's this balance of empathy and assertiveness. Empathy on one hand, you want to listen, you want to make sure the other person feels seen and heard. By the way, I should say as a digression, every single person has three fundamental human needs. When their mouth is opening, they're only looking for three things. Do you see me? Number one. Number two, do you hear me? And number three, do I matter to you? Or does what I have to say matter to you? So those are what we call empathic needs. So on one hand, we have to make sure that the person we're talking to actually feels seen and heard and listened to before we interject. But the other thing is that at some point of time, we got to cut and we got to get in there and we got to assert ourselves. So it's that balance. So I think what, a couple of tips. The first thing is that you need to understand what their motivations are. There's different intrinsic kinds of human motivation. Some people are motivated by safety, kiasu, risk averse. Some people are motivated by results. Some people are motivated by you know, ego, they want to be seen. Some people are motivated by, for example, joy and harmony. So you've got to kind of like have some sort of emotional literacy and figure out this, my counterpart, this stakeholder, when they're talking, what is their motivation? And if I know what their motivation is, like let's say they're a very risk averse person, and that's why they're against you, you need to work with that motivation. You need to acknowledge it. You, can, you need to say something along the lines of, I, yeah, I totally agree that managing risk or safety or whatever it is is so important and that's exactly why I have some thoughts on this issue as well. So it's aligning your interests strategically with their motivation that is part of it. And last practical tip, when I cut in and say something, I don't cut in with a but and I don't cut in with a no. It's important to cut in with a yes and an end. So for example, Andrew Lee, I want to demo with you. You are going to blather on about something and now I'm going to demo how I would cut in, okay? Oh my god, Krista, I'm so excited to be here with you. Yes. Hey, like, it's so amazing that I'm just yeah. having this intro pause. Yes, I'm so excited too. Okay, you see, like, so she was talking, talking, then yeah, yes, 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 and then yes. Uh, so when you cut in with a very empathic yes, it makes people feel not so offended. Yeah. Imagine if I cut Andrew Lee with, no, <laughs> but... <laughs> It's why? a very why? Hey, sorry, sorry. That's the worst because you are going against. So sorry, psychological tactics here. Psychological safety, right? Yes, absolutely. Thanks so much for the question. Who's next? Hello, hi. My name is Sarah. Hi, Hello. Sarah. Hi. I have a colleague that has a huge new button. Oh wow. Of her. And whenever she speaks out, whatever comes out from her mouth sounds very rude. Because right. she doesn't have the communication skills. I see. So in that case, how do I let her know that she needs to work on her communication, on her mute button, without offending her? Right. Wow. Lots of podcast episode. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's a fantastic question. So really what you want to do is that you are trying to give some feedback to your colleague about how her communication could be even more effective, right? Now... 
Giving feedback is a little trickier when this is a peer, when it's not a direct report, right? Because technically you don't have that much control over the other person. So your best chance of doing this is something more of a sharing approach. So for instance, I might, instead of saying, wow, Andrelina, you speak out the way, I'm very garang, ah. let me tell you, everybody, ah, like, it's, excuse me, you're not my manager, why should I listen to you? Start to tear up. <laughs> so a good way is actually do a little sharing. Say, hey, Andrelin, I've been thinking about sharing something with you uh, that's been on my mind. I wonder whether you would have five minutes for me to share like a story with you. So you're sharing a story, you're not giving advice. Then I might say to, uh, to Andrelin something like, hey, you know, um, just to share, earlier on in my career, I actually noticed that I learned this thing about our culture. In our culture, you know, in our firm, right? Elevandia. You know, there's a lot of people uh, sometimes can be easily offended. And one thing I learned is that when we, when I started off in this Elevandia, I was like, wow, very, you know, loud. And then just like, like whatever, very brash and giving my opinion. And then I really actually found out that it was, I was more effective when I took this sort of approach and then do the sharing that way. And then, so it's kind of like, and of course, you know, there's uh, advantages to every types of strategies. But, you know, if you're just sharing a life experience with them, they can take it or leave it. And you've kind of done your best by trying to offer them that gem of wisdom. It comes across as less aggressive, right? Yeah, and also less presumptive. And I always kind of say, like, you know, for what it's worth, I'm not, I would never dream of telling anybody how to run their life and by no means am I like the oracle of, of anything. But you know, I thought that one thing that you could consider is, is perhaps using we words or instead of I think, I want or whatever. Sometimes what works really well yeah. with this stakeholder, where's Yong Liang? Uh, what works really well with Yong Liang, I discovered, is when you use this kind of tactics. So you know what I always say, the enemy of your enemy is your friend. You go and find some stakeholder that both of you find very problematic to deal with and then you kind of like, wow, I found this way to Tai Chi this stakeholder. Da, da, da. Sorry, Yong Liang, no offense. So, you know, thank you so much for us today at the Singapore FinTech Festival. Thank you so much thank everybody for joining us.